Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be talking about Al Horford, Tony Bradley, and Moses Brown dominating once again. But before I want to start talking about that, my apologies for getting this out a little bit later on in the day. I was actually contemplating whether or not I would do this because my voice is like pretty frail right now. I, um, I drove, me and one of my friends, we drove like two hours to go to Oral Roberts, their campus, because um, they had the March Madness. I mean, they were in the Sweet 16 game last night against um, Arkansas. I guess as you're listening to this now, it'd be two days ago. But we went we went two hours to go watch that game, and it was like a watch party setting. It was actually really cool. It was like a concert almost, and, you know, there's like a little, there's like a floor section they had chairs all laid out for the students and then there's like the upper bowl and like the lower bowl or whatever so when it came down to if they were distancing um not really happening in the student section it was kind of literally just like a concert like you had strobe lights people were like dancing around you got everything lower bowl upper bowl me and my friend we were kind of in the lower bowl area so i thought we were pretty well spaced out so that shouldn't be a problem but man that was one of the most exciting games I think I've ever watched <laughs> and you know being in like a, a stadium setting where everybody's just going crazy about it made it just that much better I mean it would have been better if Ace Miss made his three end up losing there was boy when I tell you I mean like half of the student section just fell to the ground whenever he missed that shot it was it, it was definitely something I'm not gonna forget that was a pretty pretty big night it, it was kind of weird though because you know when you're not in the floor section, it feels like you're almost watching two separate things. Like you're watching the game on the big screen on the projector, but then you're also just watching the student section go crazy. So it was it was pretty weird. Like I feel like I would have been a lot more emotional if I was on the ground level. I don't know if I would want to do that right now. Anyways, because of I mean COVID still exists, but you know, even if I was down there, I mean it would have been much different because, um, you know, you'd feel a lot more involved. I still felt very invested in the game. Like, when it, when it, the shot didn't go in, my heart dropped. Everybody was, you know, pretty pretty emotional about it. There was still something that was super-duper funny from the night, though. <laughs> and um, it was, there was one in particular person who I don't think was there to watch the game whatsoever. And it's like, you you only find this, in like Oklahoma almost it's kind of crazy but there was some you know guy was pretty up there in age he he somehow managed to get down to the lower like the floor level where only you know students should be able to get in they had like gates that were like unlocked so I guess it doesn't it wasn't really that hard to get down there but he got down there and I mean he's a pretty old guy so his his strides are tiny he is like waddling around. He has like he has like Trump flags. He's got a MAGA hat on. Just like walking around and like waving him around the whole time. Like I I don't think he knew there was an ORU game going on because he kept doing it throughout the whole entire game. <laughs> so <laughs> so um yeah, man. It was it was definitely something. Like I thought I thought it was unbelievable. I think security was looking for him at one point, and um, he somehow was able to get to his seat. But he was still like he was still going off. They had they had music going on during the breaks, and that's when it was his time to shine, I guess. So 
there were like three different things going on. I guess you want to put it that way. But yeah, it was a pretty good night. Um, I think honestly, the the way they controlled it, at least on the ground level, wasn't amazing. But up top, they had like rows locked off and everything. So I thought they did a pretty good job handling that. They handed out some some souvenirs as well. So it was a pretty pretty good time. Definitely gonna remember that. Sucks they didn't make that shot though. So that game actually went on and it kind of intertwined with the thunder the thunders game and um we we got out the arena we like had to rush back home to get there by 12 a.m to go watch the rerun of it made it in the nick of time and was able to uh watch the game i don't know if my friend ended up catching it but i was able to watch it 12 a.m to 2 a.m so you know i was able to kind of jot down my notes and give you everything up to date on what happened so I feel pretty good about that. Somehow the time management worked out in my favor. But there's a lot more that has uh, kind of gone on outside of just the game that happened Saturday. So there was just a whole timeline of events. And there are still events kind of piling up right now on the Thunder side that has been going on throughout the day. I'm going to have a mega episode probably um, tomorrow. You might want to look out for that. But there's just so much news building up. I mean, trade deadline happened on Thursday. You got your pieces kind of returning you have other pieces of your team not being active and just all this crazy stuff and it started out the day started out with al horford we got from adrian wojnarowski that he is not going to be playing any more games for the thunder this season and i think you can kind of just assume here that that means we saw his last game in a thunder jersey 34 years old on right now an 81 million dollar contract for these next three seasons you cut out the next one or this one we're in and you're looking probably ballpark range like 54, 55 million for those next two years. So if a contender wants to take on Al Horford, they can get him. I think that that move, to be quite honest with you, was just a safe play here. And it was something that Dagnall listed that um, he was not supposed to kind of be pulled this early. He didn't say word for word that, but it's kind of kind of can insinuate off that. Like they had in their plans. Horford resting and sitting out for some part of the season, but it may have come a little bit early because of Shea having plantar fasciitis. That's going to take him out for the majority of the season, if not the entirety of it. I believe we only have 27 more games left, so he's going to be out a good chunk of those. I'm going to predict at least 20, and now you just have kind of a lot of bench guys and just super young players that you need to kind of be developing and Al Horford doesn't fit the mold now when you look at his stat line this is a guy that you know with Mike Muscala you can kind of get away with benching him he was averaging 10 points but he was kind of a bench player stretch four and he's a veteran on a minimum contract that makes complete sense but when you're talking about a guy who got signed like an 107 million dollar contract back in 2019 that's like a max player, and you're not even going to be playing him. It's a bit different here, though, because I do feel like this makes more sense for the Thunder than anything. You can't really play Al Horford whenever... Well, I guess you could, but you shouldn't really be playing Al Horford whenever it's clear you're rebuilding and you're looking towards other options. If you kept playing all these veteran players, you wouldn't have found all these gems. We wouldn't have even had a lot of these players that we have. Kenrich Williams, Isaiah Roby. Moses Brown now, Shvi, Jerome. I mean, Teo probably wouldn't have gotten a major shot. So the fact they're kind of exploring the roster, it's worked out so well. And you get Tony Bradley 
in a trade, you'd almost want to see him play. You want to see all the young guys play and see who's really going to be part of your future. Pretty obvious at 34, Al Horford's never going to do that for you. But as I mentioned, I mean, he's averaging 14.2 points, 6.7 rebounds, and 3.4 assists per game. One of our best players. So when it comes down to the anti-tanking restrictions, I really have not read too much in the details. I know they revised it whenever the adjusted lottery came out in 2017. But I think one of the, the things detailed there is if you have a healthy player, you can't just rule them out for rest. I feel like that's kind of what this is, but I don't know, man. I feel like this is a borderline situation. Like the league has not stepped up in any of the major free agent signings in the buyout market. So if you're going to, you know, step in on the lower scale teams like us per se, I feel like you should probably be doing it on the higher scale teams as well, like the Lakers, the Nets, just everybody attracting major free agents. You, you don't want to have a team too stacked. Like whenever David Stern was running the show, didn't even allow Chris Paul to unite with Kobe Bryant. Now you have super teams forming where you have former all-stars and players who, quite frankly, could be playing at an all-star level right now are just tacking onto these major super teams. So I don't think that's great for the NBA. Obviously, when you got teams sandbagging, it's also not great, but I wouldn't really consider it this. I, I would consider someone sandbagging if like you had nobody to kind of back you up if you have like a like a 76ers roster you know the process where you're just dumping away every veteran for just scrubs that's not the case here and it's clear that the thunder have not been trying to actively lose their games so you just get him out and you get to see moses brown and now you actually get to see tony bradley too because he got traded for and we heard on friday that he was not with the team same goes with austin rivers you guys remember we got Bradley Rivers two second round picks for George Hill in that three team trade. Rivers has not reported. Tony Bradley has. He is currently in Oklahoma City right now and he's not going to be playing probably for the next game on Monday. I can't be 100% certain on that though, but I probably don't think so. And the reason is because he's actually in health and safety protocols right now. So I guess when you get traded, you have to be entered into that. Maybe it's a special case with Tony Bradley. I'm not 100% sure, but he's in there. Once he gets out of that stage, he's going to be able to work with the team. But yeah, he's going to be good to go. And this is a player that is going to fit our timeline. He's only 23 years old. He's on the final year of his rookie scale contract. This is his fourth season, and he hasn't been able to really play much at all. He has only played 90 games so far in his career. His rookie and sophomore seasons with the Jazz were pretty much a wash. Played a little bit in his third year. And then with the 76ers, he's actually kind of grown out a little bit. But he still hasn't been playing. I mean, he's been behind Joel Embiid whenever he's healthy. When Dwight Howard's there, you're going to give him minutes. So he's kind of third in line unless there's injuries. And when Joel Embiid came down, Tony Bradley looked like a respectable center. I mean, his last game with Philadelphia showed his career high in points, 18 points on 8 of 8 shooting, and he also had 11 rebounds to cater that. And just in this month, he's also had probably his best best month ever. I mean, he's averaged 7.3 points and 6 rebounds and 1.2 assists. And the major part of that out of this, he's shooting 81.6% in the month of March. And over the season, he's shooting 68%. He's one of the most high-quality shooters in the league, and it's because he doesn't shoot the basketball. 
he's not going to be able to stretch the floor for you. Moses Brown doesn't do it. Neither does Bradley. He's a six foot ten kind of interior force. He plays well on defense. Has some really long arms, so we're able to haul in those rebounds. But he's not crazy athletic. I think he just does a great job kind of positioning himself. And there you go. He's just standing right next to the rim. Just flip it up. It's going to go in 68% of the time, I guess. Even better right now. But yeah, he has a lot of promise. And for a team like us, who I think we've kind of secured a future center in Moses Brown. I Yeah, we have. Because um, he's going to get signed. But we don't have that second fiddle guy right now. Like Isaiah Roby, maybe. But Isaiah Roby's not a center for sure. I think ideally you're playing Isaiah Roby at the three or four. And if you want to match small ball lineups, you put him at five. But Mark Dagnalt should never be playing Isaiah Roby at the starting five position. And, you know, maybe there might be a team where that game plan would work. But as of right now, that's not something you'd want to be kind of preferring over anything else Moses Brown's your guy and then Tony Bradley should be right behind him but I think he's gonna squash those minute totals we've seen in years past he's going to be playing secondary now he's gonna be fighting for a lot of minutes and it's because Moses Brown has actually assumed more than Al Horford was averaging anyways so there's about I'd say like 18 minutes that have been left on the table but it's kind of been collected by Alexi Pokachevsky and Isaiah Roby. Now, Pokachevsky, I don't think his minutes would swing. Roby, maybe. But you're kind of looking to give Tony Bradley at least 20 minutes because you get him, you want to see what he can do, and he's going to hit the open market, or he's going to hit it as a restricted free agent. And if you really like him, you need to make sure you can keep him. So you want to just test him out as much as possible. Let him try to work for a second contract. And if he plays well, yeah, you can try to sign him in the free agency period and you could try to work with him i don't think he's necessarily going to be like a star or like a crazy good starting caliber player but he seems to me more like a journeyman and i think i might have said that in my last podcast like when we first got him but he's got all the basics he gives you everything you want he's not you know a stretch big he's not like a center that you're looking at like as a prototypical new age center He's more old school, I'd say, in how he plays, but that's fine. I think that completely works with what we're doing right now, and he's an amazing placeholder, and he might be something more than that whenever we get to see him play in longer spurts with the team. But yeah, it's a great signing um, acquisition, and the fact we were able to kind of get him with no expense from the Philadelphia 76ers is pretty wild, especially whenever Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard both really like the guy. They um they had tweets. I know Joel Embiid kind of had those tweets where he was just praising him. Like I think it was something about like an MVP candidate or whatever. And then Dwight Howard, he just came out after you know he got traded and said he's probably gonna crush it with us, and that honestly it might be good for him because he's gonna get a bigger opportunity. And yeah, I think that that opportunity is something that is gonna be beneficial for both sides because we are looking for a center and. Tony Bradley can be doing that for us. But you cannot forget, Tony Bradley's not your main piece at the five right now. It's Moses Brown. Moses Brown has just taken over the league. This is not just an OKC thing now. Everybody knows 
who Moses Brown is. I was checking the ESPN like fantasy app or whatever. Moses Brown is almost there's almost more people have him rostered than like a James Wiseman or something. And it's just going to continue to climb because he's going to be the starter now. Once people realize that he's not having fluke games anymore, he's going to be on everybody's team. This is a perfect piece for the, you know, final however many games, 27 games of the season. And he keeps showing it time and time again. His G League stint, it wasn't just a matter of him being tall. That's not why he did amazing. It's because he's very fast. And I mean, hell, you see that guy's arm, seven foot four wingspan. How are you going to do that? And then whenever he's jumping all over the place, you really cannot just keep up with him anyways. So with the elite athleticism and rebounding skills, he's kind of just dominated. And now we know he's going to be a starter for our team. And it's because we saw this Celtics game that happened yesterday. Now, this game ended up being 111 to 94. So when you look at the final box score, it's like they must have gotten just completely blown out of the water. They end up losing by, what, 17 points by the end of this? But that's not very telling at all because the Oklahoma City Thunder, they were leading for the majority of this game. They were up entering the fourth quarter, but that's kind of when things started to crumble because the Boston Celtics, they didn't really have any true five to stop Moses Brown, and I'll go into that later. But the Robert Williams, the Grant Williams, even the Taco Falls at times couldn't stop him. The guy who kind of was able to get them out of their hole was Luke Cornett of all people. Get him off the bowls seems like kind of a scrub. Seven foot two, stretch five, hits two crucial threes, and it kind of starts up a run for them in the fourth. And they were able to just kind of take it away. They started with a 12-2 run. They took the lead, and then they inflated to 19-2. So they pretty much had the grasps of this game unless Oklahoma City could kind of combat that major, you know, lead that they had. So Moses Brown's really not involved anymore. I think they probably pulled him out by this point. But they just kind of let everything rest. And at their peak, Celtics had a 26-8 run. And that's why they're able to just take this one right away from the Oklahoma City Thunder. But there's a lot more to this game than the final score as... I think I mentioned this game was another historic night for Moses Brown. He cannot get enough media attention. His last game against the Memphis Grizzlies, he set a record getting a double double in 13 minutes, 15 seconds into his time on the court. Yeah, he completely blew that out of the water against the Boston Celtics. He had a double-double 8 minutes and 11 seconds into his time on the floor. That's the second quickest time we've seen in franchise history that happen. And even past those 8 minutes, 11 seconds, he was dominant. In the first quarter, in the first 8 minutes, he had 8 rebounds. In the second quarter, He was playing straight out of NBA 2K. Nobody on the Boston Celtics could contain him. He had 14 points and 12 rebounds in the second. Four of those rebounds, offensive, obviously. Who else can do that in the league? Honestly, I don't know. If I see a stat line of 14 and 12 in a whole entire game, that's a pretty good game. And for someone like a Moses Brown, yeah, that stat line, I'd be so psyched 
about that. But that was just one quarter. And when you take into account the first quarter, he was posted numbers you've only seen from Shaquille O'Neal before. 17 points and 19 rebounds in the first half. And with those 19 rebounds, it's pretty obvious he set a record for most rebounds in a half for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then with the points, that's not going to be your franchise record, but that's still amazing. You almost get a 20-20 game in the first 24 minutes of the contest. Wow, I don't know how you do that. So Brad Stevens, as I was talking about, he had to throw out Taco Fall to do stuff. It didn't really matter to him, even post-game. Moses Brown said that he's played Taco Fall before whenever he was in the draft combine. And, you know, neither of them ended up getting drafted, but they had the experience together and they're both in the league right now, kind of battling off against each other. I'd say Moses Brown won that contest. So in the first half, he was looking like an NBA legend. In the third and fourth, though, he kind of got the G League treatment where Brad Stevens just puts the whole entire defense on Moses Brown. Like he'll get the basketball and you already have two people on you. And he kind of does have a tendency to take bad shots. Like when he's double teamed or triple teamed, he gets a little bit of tunnel vision and he'll still jack it up. Didn't really do that in this game. So that's something you can kind of take away, but he just couldn't really score. He was still able to post a 20-20 game. He had 21 points and 23 rebounds in his 32 minutes. And no doubt, I think you all know, that is career highs in both of those categories for him. But you kind of start thinking, like, how many points and how many rebounds would he have had if Brad Stevens didn't just force everybody on him? Because there was no way one-on-one anybody was going to be stopping Moses Brown in this game. Taco Fall, yeah, he's, I think he's listed as 7'5". I still like saying he's 7'6". And then you got the pair of Williamses, like I was talking about. They're not seven feet. They cannot mess with him. I think they got dunked on like three times in this game. So it kind of just became too easy for him. And I ended up just checking the highlights from this game because it was pretty wild. He ended up having five dunks and three putbacks in this game. And one of those was actually a combination of both. I think Lou Dort shot a layup it hit like the the backboard it just ricocheted right off it Moses Brown cleaned it up with a two-handed jam and I mean as I was talking about he had a lot of them there was nobody who was going to be able to to stop Moses Brown so this is his best game of his career and maybe even when you're looking at the G League games like in the G League he was looking very good. I think he probably had some 30-point performances sprinkled in there. I'm kind of getting foggy memory because of how well he's been playing with the Thunder. Like, it's kind of all getting bunched together because the stat lines are just so similar at this point. But I think he probably did have like a 30-point outing maybe once. But I don't think he ever got a a 20-20 like this. So, big props to him. I mean, he has just proved everybody that he deserves a contract, and he might just be one of the most promising young bigs in the entire league right now. Like, when I start thinking of centers that are like rookies or sophomores, honestly, he is going to be in the top three right now. Like, who do you think of? It's like James Wiseman from the 2020 NBA draft class. Who's really outside of there that pops out? 
quite frankly, I don't really know. When you look at the 2019 draft class, who's there? Like Jackson Hayes, Nick Claxton. I don't really see much there at all, to be quite honest with you. So when you're looking at rookies and sophomores, yeah, he's probably right up there. One or two. I think you'd almost give a nod to Moses Brown over James Wiseman right now. You, It's a real toss-up. Like I think there's an argument. But yeah, there's no question that out of the 2019 draft class, he might be the best-looking one that we've seen. And if you want to count Zion as a center, obviously that's not going to be the same because Zion is looking like a superstar already. But I'm listing him as a power forward, man, and I don't see anyone in this 2019 draft class at the center spot who really is even going to stack up against someone like Moses right now. So he's been that good, and he's only 21 years old. He's fit in so well, and you know, I think as long as he's able to keep up his athleticism and his rebounding, he will be able to be a major piece heading forward, whether it's as a starter or a bench player. I'm not going to go that far yet, but he's definitely going to be in our future plans. And whenever we sort out what's going to happen with, you know, our our roster, because we are at 15, Moses Brown's going to be the first one to get his name called. He's going to get the he's going to get the rookie scale contract. He'll be with us for multiple seasons, and we will have his rights heading into his first chance at a big contract. Which, you know. If he keeps playing like this, he will most definitely have. So he just had a really great game, and it wasn't just him who had a very great game against Boston, because so did Teo Maladon, and he almost had a career high in points. He had 22 points, and he did it on 7 of 16 shooting, so he had the green light to chuck it up really as much as he wanted to. You don't have SGA, so... That's kind of when he becomes first in command and does whatever. It's totally cool because he was making his shots. He shot four of 10 from three. That's really not bad. He always shoots two of five. So I guess he's staying on that same kind of percentage. Four for 10, not bad. And I think that people were kind of having some issues. He was doing really everything around the basketball court, at least offensively. He wasn't just a one-trick pony from outside. He loves getting into the paint and trying to make plays happen. And he was even doing it when it came to the glass because Moses Brown, yeah, he led big time when it uh, when it was all said and done in the rebounds. But who was right behind him? It was Maladone. He had eight on the game. And I want to mention before I forget about it because I know I probably will, but Moses Brown... He recorded only the sixth 2020 game in Oklahoma City Thunder franchise history. And those 23 rebounds, that also ties a franchise record that has been held by Steven Adams. He got his against the Sacramento Kings. And whenever he was going against the Kings, you know who the three centers were? They were Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufos, and Scalabissier. I don't even think... I know Kufos isn't in the NBA anymore. If Labissier is still in the league, it's like by a literal string. And with Willie Cauley-Stein, he's in the NBA, but he's not you know that highly regarded anyway. So he didn't have much competition when he played the Kings in this game. I think Moses Brown definitely had a lighter load 
than what he probably will be used to because he was playing smaller guys. But I just think that's kind of something worth noting anyways. So those are amazing games. Brown had one. Maladon had one. And Pogachevsky, he had a pretty good one as well. He had five assists on the game, eight points. Took him 10 shots to get there, though. He only hit three of those. It didn't matter, though, because one of those shot makes came off of probably the coolest play of the game. He was at the top of the key, had a little bit of a screen to go around, and he started driving, kind of going to the left wing, and he faked a pass to the person in the left wing. Got the defender kind of phased up so he could get into the lane, and it was just smooth sailing from there. I mean, you've seen how long his strides are. He is able to take two steps from like the half-court line to get inside the free-throw line. So, you know, his defender didn't have any sort of chance at all. So he's like a step or two inside the free-throw line, and he just skies up. And he ends up meeting Robert Williams right at the rim. Robert Williams was kind of coming in at an angle. Like, he didn't have his feet set at all, was not straight. Pokashevsky, you see his vertical kind of surprising. I mean, I don't know if it's the vertical or just the long arms, probably a mixture of both, but it looks like his head is damn near at the rim sometimes, <laughs> but he goes up there. He soars, and the Time Lord had zero shot against him. He got put on a posterizer. The bench was all hyped up yet again. Pokachevsky is probably going to be making Sports Center for, what, his fifth time of the season, maybe? And then outside of him, you still had some other people contributing. Kendrick Williams was solid, 12 points, and Lou Dort had 10. But Lou Dort, he actually had an injury, and he is now in concussion protocol because just at the start of the third quarter, to start out, you already know how it would have started out. Like Moses Brown had a posterizer, and then Boston had a play. I think OKC had a play. But then you had Lou Dort trying to penetrate he was like left baseline kind of had his head down like he was gonna just bull rush Jalen Brown to kind of carve his way inside for a layup so he gets his head down and then he's kind of just making some moves and he ended up kind of trying to run in and he got elbowed by Jalen Brown so he was kind of just discombobulated he had to get taken out into the tunnel and we didn't see him again and we probably will not see him again for the next game because of that but yeah he was a little bit shaken up he was kind of in a position where he would have gone off for 15 plus again but it just gave more minutes for players like Kenrich Williams to show off but it also let Josh Hall show up he had his first game since February the 1st now that was his last NBA game he played one game in the G League bubble but it really was not amounting to anything like I wouldn't give much worth to it I think he played 15 minutes shot like one for five and then we just never saw him again because I think he might have re-injured his knee or something but he finally got out of rehab Mark Dagnall was talking about it po- or pre-game that we were going to see some Josh Hall and we saw a lot more than I quite frankly expected he played 20 minutes in this game and he didn't make a lot of shots like he just got back he shot one of five just like he did in the g league game but damn this guy is athletic six foot eight pretty good handle the rock but when he starts driving in damn he was just gliding through the air on some of these layups like he will meet you and then he'll give you the hamadou diallo effect where he'll just wait 
wait, wait until the defender starts going down, and then he'll let go of his layup. The difference is, I think Hamadou Diallo is like six foot five. You add three more inches, that's what you're getting out of Josh Hall. Now, I don't know if Josh Hall would be able to dunk over Shaquille O'Neal and honey dip the rim, but when it comes to layups, he's got a master class in that. He is great at it. So I would be very hyped up about what Josh Hall could be for us. I don't see him getting an upgraded contract unless you get Moses Brown his and like very end of the season, maybe you let go of someone like Mike Muscala or whatever. When you get to the deadline, you let loose of somebody to get Hall, but he will have some work to do. He's a very polarizing two-way player though. I don't think I've seen a two-way player like him. You know, we've seen high-flying guys who kind of get bounced around on these two ways or just minimum contracts. Take Jalen LeCue, for example. We had him for about a week, traded him for TJ Leaf in a second. LeCue got waived. He was kind of just this bouncy guy, major on social media, and it's well-deserved because this guy can fly. But LeCue, he's kind of a point guard. You don't see high-flying small forwards kind of go under the radar. The last one that I can think of who went through the G League farm was Derek Jones Jr. And he won a slam dunk contest. Should he have won it? Probably not, but he still has that attached to his resume. So you got to give it to him. I'm not putting him on that same level as Derek Jones Jr. because he has a lot to learn, but he had a nice set of defensive plays. I think as I was talking about finishing around the basket has been amazing, but this is something you're never going to see probably again at a out of a two-way deal so we're gonna see a lot more of him as you're gonna see Shea not playing Dort's not gonna be playing in the next game and Horford's not gonna be playing in the next game so expect that I think that the veterans like Justin Jackson Mike Muscala and Darius Miller they likely still aren't gonna be playing because if you see Al Horford's gone the same probably is gonna help like hold true for those as well but you never know if we ever get some more injuries you could see them come back I think an interesting hypothetical would be if we were in Oklahoma City and we were one player off of the minimum, would Al Horford come out of vacation and suit up for the Thunder one last time? I don't know. That would be one hell of a situation to have. It's not a good situation to have, so you probably don't wish on it. You shouldn't wish on it, but kind of wonder how something like that would play out. But Anyways, that's just kind of everything that happened on Saturday. There's going to be a lot of news trickling in for tomorrow's episode. So get ready for that one. We're going to have a game as well. We're going to be previewing. So get ready. And I hope you all will take a listen to that. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a great day. And I will talk to you all next time. See you.